pray with me, please? Lord, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. Recently, while visiting in a friend's home, I noticed a lovely book on the coffee table. I picked it up, flipped open the cover, and read the words on the first page. The words almost seemed to jump off the page and right into my heart. Here is what I read. The best thing that you can have in life is a friend. And the best thing that you can be in life is a friend. I love that line. I wonder if you're aware of the fact that the word friend appears in the Bible more than 100 times. Obviously, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself in his earthly life had a deep need, a deep longing for friendship. And consequently, he surrounded himself with a whole phalanx of friends and acquaintances. The Bible goes on to tell us that Jesus enjoyed spending quality time with certain special intimate friends. Uh, for example, he would frequently draw aside to spend time with Peter, James, and John. Uh, we're told in the Bible that he loved to go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus every chance he got. And then we're told that Jesus paid his highest compliment to his disciples when he said to them, I do not call you servants, I call you friends. I believe that the Bible issues to us a clear call to engage in deep, loving, significant, meaningful friendships. Furthermore, I believe the Bible gives us clear characteristics which will always mark any true friendship. I happen to believe that those characteristics are best illustrated in what I would call the most beautiful friendship in the Bible. I refer to the friendship between David and Jonathan. Let me show you what I mean. The first characteristic of any true friendship it can be captured in the word summons. When you read 1 Samuel 17 and 18, you begin to understand that Jonathan actually delivered the summons, the invitation to David to become friends. Here is how that happened. David, after he had defeated Goliath, was rewarded by having the privilege of an audience with the king, King Saul. Well, Jonathan was King Saul's son, and Jonathan was present while this conversation took place between his father and the young hero. As Jonathan listened to the things that David was saying, Jonathan made the decision that he wanted to engage David in friendship. And as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he just walked right up to David and said, can we be friends? You see, Jonathan issued to David the summons, the invitation to friendship. Now, I know that is not always easy for us to do. All too often, I think, 
we are somewhat hesitant to initiate the process of friendship because we are afraid of being rejected. Dear God, that's an awful word. Rejected. That's the worst word in the English language. Rejected. It makes me think of Frankenstein. Oh, oh, not the Frankenstein that you see in the movies. Oh, no. No, no, I'm talking about the original Frankenstein. I'm talking about the Frankenstein created by the noted writer Mary Shelley. The original Frankenstein, you see, was not a terrorizing monster. Instead, he was a lonely, sympathetic creature. And in fact, uh, Frankenstein really wanted only one thing in all the world, and that was a friend. Mary Shelley actually has Frankenstein say these words, My vices are the result of my solitude, but my virtues would rise if I had just one friend. And yet, he would not reach out to other people because he was so afraid, so afraid that his terrifying physical ugliness might lead other people to reject him. There's that awful word again. Rejection. Rejection. Reject. I hate that word. I want you to mark this down. No true friendship is ever built on something as fleeting as good looks and physical attractiveness. I've known some people who looked like Hollywood stars, who were desperately lonely. True friendship is not built on things like money and success. I've known some people who had more money than they knew what to do with, and they wished to God that that money might buy them one true friend. True friendship is not built on things like talent or intellect. I've known some brilliant, talented people who died with no one's regret. Dear friends, do mark this down. God has created all of us. Underscore that. All of us. No exception. All of us. God has created all of us to love and to be loved in return. In other words, God has made us for friendship. So please, don't let fear of rejection I can barely say it. I hate that word. Don't let the fear of rejection keep you from doing what Jonathan did. Jonathan approached David and said to him, can we be friends? He issued to David the summons, the invitation to friendship. We can do the same. First word, summons. The second characteristic of true friendship can be captured in the word share. In 1 Samuel 19, we begin to discover that David and Jonathan were bound by a common bond. It was their shared purpose under God. I want you to understand that David didn't step into the limelight until he had killed Goliath. But before that happened, yes, before that happened, I want you to realize Jonathan was the most popular figure in all of Israel. 
He was young. He was a military hero. He was the crown prince. He was the heir apparent to the throne. The people adored Jonathan. Ah, but then, after David fell the giant, suddenly everything changed. Now the chance of the people championed David, not Jonathan. And Jonathan realized that if he built a friendship with David, he would actually be exalting David's fame while eclipsing his own. But Jonathan did it anyway. Why? The Bible makes it crystal clear. He knew that the two of them were bound by a common purpose under God. They both loved God. They both loved their country. That was the shared purpose that knit their lives together. In fact, knit them so securely that nothing would ever be able to pull them apart. I want to say something here, which by my experience, I believe to be true. The truest test of true friendship is whether or not that friendship draws you closer to God. You see, the friendship David and Jonathan enjoyed did in fact draw them closer together, yes, but at the same time, and even more importantly, it drew the two of them closer to God. I want to say this plainly. Don't miss it. No true friend will ever ask you to do something which is wrong in the sight of God. Scroll that down the screen of your consciousness one more time, especially those of you who are young. No true friend will ever ask you to do anything which is wrong in the sight of God. And so if you have one you call friend who is asking you and coaxing you and tempting you and encouraging you to do something that is in violation of the standards of God, if you have one you call friend who is leading you or luring you to pull your hand away from the hand of God in your life, then let me urge you in the name of Jesus Christ, renounce that friendship now. Oh, it may be painful. Yes. It may even feel like you're tearing your own heart out. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I urge you to renounce that friendship before it is too late. No true friend will ever, ever ask you to do something that is wrong in the sight of God. The great Clarence McCartney said it well, said it right, said it like this. A friend who is true is one of life's greatest blessings, but a friend who is false is one of life's sharpest thorns. David and Jonathan enjoyed a true friendship because they were bound together by their shared purpose under God. That's the second word, share. And then the third characteristic of any true friendship can be captured in the word selflessness. In 1 Samuel 20 and 23, we see that 
selflessness was very much a mark of the friendship between Jonathan and David. We see it, for example, in what is called the story of the arrows. You see, as David's popularity began to grow among the people, King Saul himself actually became jealous, insanely jealous, so jealous that he decided that David would have to be killed. Well, Jonathan loved his father, yes, but he also loved David. And so Jonathan decided that he would go to his father and appeal to him to spare David's life. As he prepared to do this, he said to David, I want you to go and hide. Don't hide far away, hide close by. I'm going to go in and speak to my father. And after I have spoken to him, I will come out and I will shoot some arrows toward a target. And I will have a boy with me there to retrieve those arrows. If I say to the boy, son, come closer, the arrows are nearby, then David, you will understand that that means that the coast is clear and you can come out of hiding. But if on the other hand, I say to the boy, son, go farther, the arrows are beyond you. Well, that will be the sign that you will know that my father is still determined to kill you and you must run for your life. Well, as it turned out, Saul retained his determination to kill David, and so David indeed had to run for his life. But I want you to see what Jonathan was doing. He was running a terrible risk here. If Saul had understood or caught him at what he was doing, he would have killed Jonathan instantly. But Jonathan ran the risk anyway. Selflessness. Selfless love at work. You see the same pattern a bit later, where we are told that David was growing weary of running, living his life every day as a fugitive. His faith was wavering. He was worn out with wondering if every day would be his last. And he was plunged into deep despair. And at that point, the Bible says, Jonathan found him, went to see him. And what does the Bible say? It is so powerful. The Bible says, Jonathan, strengthen David's hand in the Lord. Isn't that magnificent? Jonathan, strengthen David's hand in the Lord. Understand, please. Jonathan could have been king, but he turned away from his own desires and his own future in order to favor his friendship with David. He went to David and he said, you, not I, you are going to be the king. Stay true to our God. What a magnificent moment in human history. The young man who would be and could be king turns away from all of that in favor of his friendship with David. And he says to his friend, you are going to be the king. Stay true to our God. Selfless love at work. I'm going to say something right now I wish I didn't have to say. But I have to say it because of what's going on in our world and even in the church. I agree with Chuck Swindoll. It is shameful that there are those today, both inside the church and outside the church, who are tarnishing this magnificent story by declaring that the relationship between David and Jonathan provides a biblical basis 
for homosexual activity. Dear friends, that is an inexcusable perversion of the scriptures. That is not what is portrayed here. Exactly the opposite. What is portrayed here is a noble, soaring friendship. What is portrayed here is a friendship built upon truth and honesty and integrity. What is portrayed here is a magnificent, God-honoring friendship. And God blessed that friendship. God used that friendship to give to both David and Jonathan the power of God. And David and Jonathan then used that friendship to deliver the power of God to the people of Israel. Selfless love at work. You know, as I think about it, I, I think that maybe you can actually see that same kind of thing at work in the life of Ben Franklin. Oh, oh no, 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 not the Ben Franklin. No, no, this is another Ben Franklin. This Ben Franklin lives today in Topeka, Kansas. Back in September of 1963, Ben Franklin was a freshman at the University of Colorado. He was grievously injured in a mountain climbing accident. He plunged 150 feet down into a ravine, broke his back in four places. Surgery was attempted, it was unsuccessful. The doctor said to him there was nothing they could do for him. He would spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair, completely paralyzed. Ben Franklin fell into deep despair. He was ready to die. Ah, but you know, in that hospital, there was another patient. Ironically enough, a patient who was going to spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair. But this patient happened to be a deeply committed Christian. And one afternoon, this patient wheeled himself into Ben Franklin's room, and he said, I'd like to be your friend. Summons. He said, I'd like to learn about how you feel about your struggle. Share. He said, I'd like to help you in your healing. Selflessness. Starting that afternoon, he wheeled into Ben Franklin's room, and he said to him, I dare you to move your big toe. Ben Franklin said, I can't do it. Try. Nothing happened. Next day, he wheeled into Ben Franklin's room. Same thing. I dare you to move your big toe. Nothing happened. Next day, same thing. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Two weeks later, on that afternoon, this fellow wheeled himself into Ben Franklin's room, and he said, this is the day you're going to move that big toe. And the big toe moved ever so slight. That was the first step in a long, incredibly painful five-year journey. But today, Ben Franklin can walk. Oh, he's on crutches, but he can walk. And he has built for himself a significant and triumphant life. I want you to listen to what Ben Franklin says about all of that. He says, that day when I fell, I didn't fall into a ravine. I fell into the arms of God. And this Christian brother of mine, this true and faithful friend of mine, brought the power of God into my life. And now I wouldn't exchange anything. I wouldn't even ask for physical wholeness if it meant that I had to give up the power of God in my life. I fell, yes. But when I fell, I fell into the arms of God. That kind of summons, that kind of sharing, 
that kind of selflessness. We see it so clearly in the true friendship between David and Jonathan. And that kind of summons, that kind of sharing, that kind of selfless love will always be seen in any true, deep, loving, faithful friendship. Now, do you understand why the words in that coffee table book jumped off the page and right into my heart. The best thing that you can have in life is a friend. And the best thing that you can be in life is a friend. I would add only these words. A friend in Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. Enable us to be what you made us to be. Be people who love and who are loved in return. You made us for friendship. Enable us to do whatever we must to forge deep, true, significant, faithful friendships in our lives, all in the name of the one who is our best friend of all, Jesus the Christ.